God's charge to Joshua. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all its people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, uh, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been t- with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Toby. Um, I don't know if you can believe it, but it's 2020, which is crazy. And uh, while every year is new, this year feels, at least for me, a little different. Maybe it's because I feel really old this year, because when I was younger in high school in the 90s, all the movies that would point to like a future time where cars would fly and do all those things would be like in the year 2020, and here we are. And so maybe that's why uh, it feels a little different. Perhaps it's because our church just celebrated 40 years and we're thinking about the next 40, so it seems a little different. For me this year, this marks seven full years in Houston, which seems like a significant milestone for me. And then for us as RK, maybe this year will feel a little different because just take a look. We have three brand new babies, Brielle, Chloe, and Grace, and they're beautiful. Hopefully there'll be more to come. We have 80 to 90 junior high students, 110 to 120 high school students. We have U of H students, which wasn't a thing back in the day when I first came, um, and they're here. And then we have lots of young professionals, a host of medical professionals. We joke that we could start our own medical clinic and we'd be covered um, because we have literally every single position, I think, covered. And we have a bunch of new families. And then now we have a bunch of, we have families that actually worship together, children and parents. Chris's family is gonna be one of them very soon. And we have um, Patrick's family and we have Steve's family and so on and so forth. All of this, if you look, I think is proof And a reminder that God has been and will be so faithful to us. For me, it's a promise and a a, a reminder, right? And proof that God has been faithful to a dream that I had many, many years ago. When I first came to KCPC, I was looking for a Korean American church that might look like this. Could, would, and may even want to desire to live, look like this. And as we begin 2020, we are in many ways living that dream. But above all of these things, I think the main reason why 2020 feels significant, at least to me and I think um, to the church, and the main reason we're going to be spending the next little bit of time in the book of Joshua is because like Israel in the book of Joshua, I think our church is feeling that we're on the verge of something. 
Every year, senior pastor uh, during Christmas and Lent goes through this uh, special New Year's, I mean, special uh, early morning prayer every day from at five and six, he, uh, he preaches and then people come and then people come out to pray. I know it's kind of crazy, but this time around, this Christmas, he began and he preached on the book of Joshua. And when he began, he apologized to everyone and said, I'm really sorry to preach Joshua again because I know I did a couple years ago, but I'm doing so. Because he said, and I quote, I believe that as a church, we're primed to enter into the land of Canaan. And if you know the story of Joshua, as we'll get into, and as Toby read for us, that's what we're doing. Now, when he first said it, I didn't think much of it at the time. I actually thought he was really cheesy, like one of those pastoral cheesy things. Like, okay, I get it, 40 years, Canaan, 40 years, whatever, I get it. But as I began to think about how to preach this new year, I got the same kind of sense that I should preach Joshua that we are in two on the verge of something. And though I didn't want to preach this book because I don't know it very well, it's going to require a lot of work, I couldn't shake this feeling. And so I decided, okay, let's do so. But then as I was preparing, I was like, wait, wait, senior pastor meant something and he wanted to say something in all that. So what did he mean? And so to check, I just went up and asked him. I went into his office one day and I was like, hey, what were you talking about when you said that our church was primed to enter into Canaan? That, that's what we were doing like the Israelites did. And this is what he said. He said, after 40 years of being at this church, after 40 years of our church, God has been so good, so faithful. He said, I realize that I need to change, that I need to read and study the word more and to live just as the word says to the T. I know, it's kind of crazy. That's our senior pastor. He reads all day and that's all he does, it seems like. And that's what he was saying. And then he said this. He goes, the reason why I feel this way is because Many people, when they get older, especially when you get to an age like me, he said, we tend to get stuck in our ways. And then you discover that you're no longer living according to God's word. And you're just living according to your culture or your ingrained tendencies or your habits that you formed over many, many years. And in many ways, he said, our elders, our leaders, me in particular, we need to get back to scripture. And so I decided that we should preach Joshua. And then my mind exploded like in this moment because this has been at the core of my heart for the last year or so. It's why we went to the 10 commandments, to get back to God's word and to live it as he says, right? This is why we've been teaching in RK102. If you've been there for RK102 this last year, right? That we want, we want to stop doing this half-baked Christianity. We want to stop doing this thing where we say we're living Christianity, but we're really not. That in many ways, what we're saying is the church has gotten caught up in a lot of things, but living out God's word exactly as they are is not one of the things that we've gotten caught up in. And so we begin this journey into Joshua as we begin into this new year 2020 because this is what you'll find with the nation of Israel right at the beginning of Joshua 1. Joshua is its new leader and they're on the verge of the promised land, promised long, long, long time ago to Abraham in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham, right? He promises many nations, they have that. And he promises blessing, they have that. But the one thing they're missing as a part of the promise was the land. And as we read, as Toby read for us, God promises the land, he promises a victory, and he says, I will give you everything, but he says, under one condition, that you live, that you do all, everything according to my law and my word. Now, I think you can look around us, you can kind of take a look. In my opinion, we're living the dream. We're living God's promise to us. Everyone has told me, people from the age of 10 to the age of 50 plus, which we have, aren't supposed to worship together and like it. Especially when you go to a church where we have the resources to provide different 
worship services and different pastors and different resources so that everyone can have separate things. We're not supposed to do this. But we do this because we believe and senior pastor believes and our church believes at its core that it's very critical to become a unified church to do something like this because this is what the body actually looks like. Many different people of many different ages, of many different cultures, of many different generations coming together to worship so that as Jesus says in John, that the way that the world will know that we are his people is the way that we love one another. And let's be honest, it's really easy to love people that you like and that you get along with. They're in the same age group and they do the same thing as you. But it's not really easy to love the people who don't think like you, don't look like you, don't operate like you, and don't want to be with you, more importantly. And then kind of putting all of this in a nutshell, a couple, uh, during the summer, if you remember uh, Pastor B., he was here, he was our guest speaker, and then he preached here. He said at the very end of the retreat, as we're about finishing, and he goes, hey, Pete, have you ever thought about planting out from your church? And I was like, what? Like, and if you don't know what that means, it's like we take part of our church and we say, hey, go and establish another church like it somewhere else. And I'm like, no, we're too busy doing other things. And he goes, and he said this, he goes, because it would be a shame if you didn't share what God is doing in your midst with the rest of the world. And and there's a pastor in town, Pastor Sean King, and he came up to me one day and he was like, hey, Pete, I have this idea because you know what? Korean pastors, second gen Korean pastors, they're not doing so hot and we need to help them and we need to like train them and I feel like they're just being left out to dry. And he's like, well, how would you feel if you and your senior pastor in your church decided to become a place where the people can come and train for like six months? You can train them up, build them up, teach them what it means to be a healthy church and then send them out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then Pastor Inju, just recently, if you were here, she was our guest speaker at the winter retreat on the way to the airport. We were talking and then she goes, hey, just a little question. Could you like duplicate whatever y'all got going on down here? She didn't say y'all. She's a New Yorker. She's not Southern. But whatever you guys are doing here, and then can you like, like clone it somewhere else? Because we need more healthy churches in the world. Now, while I am thankful, as you can probably tell, that they feel this way, it's a reminder that God has been faithful but just as senior pastor feels, I feel in the same way that if we're really going to be this into the future, certain things have to change for us. That if we're really gonna be the church that we wanna be, and if we're really gonna be what our purpose statement says, and it's right there on the screen, that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus as a unified church, all together, young and old, Korean and English speaking, to transform our city and our world, then I think we have some things that we must learn through the book of Joshua, that indeed it's gonna take work but that indeed we're primed to enter into Canaan and indeed receive the promise that God has given to us. So today, and then onward, today an introduction and overview, but onward as we go into Joshua, I think that's what we're gonna try to learn. What has God set us up for? What is it that we're primed to do? What is 2020 gonna look like in many ways? And as we look at today, what are the keys to entering into the promise? And the keys today are fairly simple. First, accept the task. Second, focus on the giver. And then third, know our part. Let's just kind of go in. And again, the backdrop is, I really do feel, this is not just boasting. I really feel like God is up to something. And we have to try to figure out how to enter into the promised land in some ways. And this year, for whatever reason, is indeed the year that we're primed to do so. So let's go through. First, accepting the task. If you look at Joshua, the task is actually quite simple, on the surface at least. The, the task is this, cross the Jordan, go and get the land that I'm giving to you. And just as I promised your forefathers, go get the promise because I'm with you and you won't be defeated. If you look at the promise just on the surface, it seems pretty straightforward. And God is basically guaranteeing that they're going to get it. Wouldn't you love to have someone promise to you and say, you're going to get it kind of, kind of no matter what. 
But if you look a little deeper, you realize that there's a little bit more going on to the promise than meets the eye. And the first thing that you realize is Moses is dead and it's Joshua's turn. And to be clear, this is not a good thing because Moses is, well, the Moses, right? He's the one and only, the incomparable. In Deuteronomy 34, it makes it very clear. Oh, actually, oh, it's wrong order. Oh, where did that passage go? Oh no, did I not put that there? Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy 34, it says this. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Those are literally the words right before Joshua 1. It's basically saying there ain't nowhere, no, no one ever been like Moses. No one has ever done the things he's done. No one has ever performed the powers he's done. No one has ever, indeed, did anything. Actually, interestingly, if you look at Moses, he's called the servant of the Lord throughout the entire book, and Joshua doesn't get that title until the very end after he dies. So Moses is special. Moses is indeed something going on, okay? And so Moses is dead, and this is not a good thing. But then, the re- the, but then another thing that you don't realize underneath the service is that, where am I in this? Oh my goodness, I'm all over the place, aren't I? Oh, it was way back, sorry. The second thing that you have to realize is Moses was forbidden to enter into the promised land. See, I think everyone maybe thinks that Moses died because he just got old and he died in the wilderness. No, 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 no. Moses died because he had to. In Numbers 21, there's there's a little story that happens where Moses doesn't honor God the way that he's supposed to. And so God says, you're never gonna enter the promised land. You're forbidden. And so basically the people are wandering around the wilderness. And the reason why they wander for 40 years, or at least in part the reason why they wander around 40 years is because they have to wait till he dies because he's not allowed in to the promised land. They're waiting until he passes away so they can finally get into the land that they were promised. But interestingly enough, by this point, after many, many, many more years of wandering than maybe they would have had Moses not messed up along the way, there are now only two Israelites who are alive who actually lived through the Exodus, as in they were alive when God brought them from Egypt and into the wilderness through the Red River. Red River, Red Sea, right? That they went. And those two people are Joshua and Caleb. Which means then Joshua is going into the promised land with a generation of people who were never slaves, a generation of people who never knew the struggle and the suffering that their parents went through. They were born into this life. They didn't choose it. And if you know, that means they're just not as committed. It's kind of like us. I don't know if you know this. I'm not saying it's right, but the reason why many of your parents are so hard on you about academics and succeeding and doing well is because they gave up so much of their life to come here so that you could have goodness. But we don't know it because we were born into this. We didn't choose this life. I didn't choose to immigrate to America, to America, to America. I didn't choose this thing. So we don't know the struggle. We don't know the suffering. And so we're always wondering like, why are you so hard on us? It's because they gave up so much. So this is what Joshua was dealing with. And the third thing, to be sure, this entering into the promised land isn't entering, it's military conquesting. Canaan wasn't an empty land they could just walk into. No, it was a fortified nations, nation with five kings that Israel was going to have to conquer, a.k.a. defeat. And if you look, oh, I'll give you the maps now. Sorry, this is all backwards in order. Ooh, where are we? Here we go. Those are the maps. This is a map of the promised land. This is all the land that gets divided in the long run. And then if you want just a reference point, this is all of the land that they're kind of dealing with. This is Egypt down here. And then this is Canaan. And then if you look, this right here, this little area, they cross over into this area, and that's where, oh no, up here. And they go into Jericho. Jericho's right there. Sorry, it's really tiny. 
So Joshua is going to conquer a massive land with a bunch of people who maybe aren't as committed to the cause as the people that he grew up with. It's kind of a stupid task if you just are being honest. It's ridiculous. It's no wonder that God repeats to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Because he's going to need it. And although Joshua has known for many years that this was going to be his task, now that it's here, nothing seems settled. There's a quote that captures this, right? Here we go. What do you do when the servant of God dies and a raging river lies between you and the land that you want to inherit? And what do you have to do? What do you have left when everything the first five books of the Bible have been preparing for ends with the funeral of Moses? That's what Joshua's facing. And I think we as KCPC and as RK, I think we can relate, can't we? Because I think we, although no one talks about it, don't worry, I cleared it with senior pastor, right? We are also staring in the face a day when senior pastor will retire and pass the torch. And the question we got asked is, I mean, like, how do you replace that guy? He's only been here 37 years, senior pastor 35. When he started, KCPC was like 100 people, and now it's 1,700. Like, how do you replace that guy, aka you can't? But even beyond just passing the torch whenever it is that he retires, right? Our task has been for a long time to become a unified church, to build God's kingdom together. It's been our mantra. It's written all over the main lobby if you go. It's hanging on those humongous borders uh, borders everywhere, right? Banners everywhere. And while it sounds nice, the history of the Korean American church, if we're just being honest, suggests it's seemingly an impossible task. If you've grown up in the Korean church, you know this. We're known for infighting and splitting. Let's make like a Korean church and split. That's a joke that was around in the 90s. We're known as second-generation English-speaking Korean-Americans to eventually get sick of our first-generation Korean-speaking fathers and mothers and then saying, you know what, I'm out of here, and then going independent because that's just what we do. I mean, legitimately, if I had a dollar for every single time someone asked me, hey, are you guys going to go independent? I really, I think I'd be wealthy because I get asked everywhere I go. And the reasons are very clear. We have a language barrier. We have a cultural barrier. We have the pains of being immigrants and then the sons and daughters of immigrants. The struggles of our parents not knowing the majority culture. We've lived that. Coming home with a whole bunch of stuff from school and they got to sign it. They have no idea what it is. So they tell you to read it and then they tell you to sign it. The struggle of trying to be fully Korean and fully American, whatever that means. And the realizing that we're neither, that we're just a mixture of the two. All of that is our thing. We get the struggle because Christmas Day joint worship means that we sing hymns that we don't know. We read bad subtitles because I'm the one who's writing them, right? And we feel like visitors rather than worshipers because that's like, and we walk out going, what is this for? What did we just experience? How was this worship? Even for us here in this group, let's be honest. Oftentimes we feel that it would be much easier if we were just separate communities. If we could let the junior high do the junior high thing, maybe the high school and do the high school thing. Maybe the college, maybe do the high school. Okay, maybe we'll include, maybe not. And then, of course, everybody else. Now, again, I could go on and on about all the different difficulties and all the different things that we're going through. But I think the reason why we're doing all of this is because God has called us to this, to be one church, to be one body. Even in Joshua, if you look, the promise was for all Israel, all 12 tribes. Even the Israelites, in verse 12 through 18, you see that everyone has to enter into together 
And it's because in Numbers 32, there's a story where some of the half tribes were like, hey, can we just get the land east of the Jordan where we don't have to cross over? Like y'all can handle the conquest stuff and we'll just kind of leave it alone. And then God gets mad. And he goes, no, no, no. All Israel, all together. For us, all KCPCH, all together. That's our task. That's what Pastor Goose and I struggle with every single day on how do we do this. It's daunting. It's crazy. It's not easy. But if you look in the Bible, every single time God calls people to something, it's always crazy, impossible, and overwhelming. Why? Because God is crazy, impossible, and overwhelming. Because his ways are not our ways. So the first thing we got to do as we look into 2020 as we walk into here every single Sunday, as we do all the different things that we will do, is indeed accept the task that God, I think, has primed us to be a church, to be a unified church, to finally be a place where we can all gather and all love one another, young and old. And though it's going to feel daunting and ridiculous, we're going to need to do so. And then secondly, focus on the giver. Now, if you notice in the scripture, in the, in the book, Notice that God is at the center of everything. God commands, he gives, he promises, he encourages, and he is with. Just take a look at the passage. He says, I, he says, I, the land that I'm going to give you, he says. The land that I have given you, he says, just as I spoke to Moses. He says, I will be with you, I won't leave you. He says, follow my law, do exactly as I say, obey my commands. If you look at the entire scope of things, everything is about God. It's not really about Joshua and the people. It's not even about the promised land, if we're just really being honest. And because it's about God, then everything is going to go his way in his time according to his word. Which is to say then everything about this journey that Joshua and the Israelites are taking and everything about our journey that we're taking is about our willingness to trust God, his ways, his time, and his words. And spoiler, in the book of Joshua, as you will see, when Israel trusts and does exactly as God says, everything works out. And when they don't, things go terribly wrong. And to be frank, just to set you up, in the book of Joshua, there's a lot of death and there's a lot of killing. It's going to make us feel un uncomfortable at times or maybe all the time. But if you look at the reason why all of this is indeed the way that it is, it's because it's not about hate or anger. It's about the fact that people do or do not trust and follow and obey God. The whole book and therefore our lives, simple. It's either God's way or it's not. Even at the end, after Israel gets, actually gets all the land, the question still is, who are you going to choose, God or somebody else? This is in chapter 24, and we'll get to it at the end. Which means, again, as I said, it's not really even about the land, but the God who gives the land. Another spoiler, at the end, after all is done and they conquered all that, I showed you the map earlier, they conquered all of that. Joshua goes, hey, are you going to choose God or are you going to choose somebody else? And they're like, we're going to choose God. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, we're going to choose God. Are you sure? Third time, yeah, we're going to choose God. Look at all that he's done. He's been so faithful and good to us. And the book ends with the funeral of Joshua, Eleazar, and the bones of Joseph, which is interesting. And then all the while, you kind of get a sense that the author's trying to tell us, I don't know if Israel is going to actually stick with God. And then Judges, another spoiler, they don't. Which means for us, that if we're on the verge of something, also then the call for us is to be all about God. His way, his time, in his word. See, because even though Moses has died, God's promise is still alive because he is alive. See, the story isn't about Moses or his death or the passing the torch to Joshua or anything else. It's about God. Our story is about God too. 
It's about what God wants. It's about what he desires from us. It's what he's called to us and it's what he's going to guide us into. It's about following him. And I think I can sense that for many of us, a lot of the times in our lives with God, we actually don't like this, do we? We resent this, don't we? Don't we always go, why does everything have to be about God all the time? Why does everything have to be his way? Why can't it be my way? Why can't I get a little bit of the action sometimes? And although there are many, 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 many ways to perhaps answer this, I think the best way to do so is to quote our, own, uh, our very own Elise Shin, who wrote, who's a brilliant writer, by the way, who wrote a blog post recently, and it reads just like a paper, and it reads like this. Sorry, it's a little small. She says this. But if you're headstrong like me, you might ask, why? I didn't ask for this life. I didn't ask for God, and I certainly didn't ask for grace or for heaven. But we have to remember this, by the words of Genesis 1, in the beginning, God... We have to remember that it isn't about us. It isn't about God. I mean, it's about God. It was all him from the beginning into the very end. By God, Jesus bled for hours upon end. He wept and cried out. His hands were painfully nailed to that cross and his body hung lifelessly only to bring life to us. And he rose to heaven to prepare his home, his dwelling, so that he can bring it down to us. God meets us unadulterated with sin. Heaven meets earth. And it's because God's sending Jesus to us that it's possible to look forward to such a day where God brings heaven down to this earth. And then she continues, my brothers and sisters, this is a sobering truth we must realize. It's not about whether we ask for it because grace doesn't function that way. God gives it to us in the littlest and the biggest of ways. Us living and breathing is marked by grace. We didn't choose it because it's just given. You have a choice as to how to respond to it, sure, but I hope that you don't take it for granted. My prayer for not just this new year, but for your daily lives is that grace becomes something more to you and for it to become, as Pete says, natural. That's our task. And to do this, then the last part is that we have to know our part. If everything in life is about God, and everything about our church and where we're headed and everything that we've done so far is about God. Then our part, the part that we play, ought to be very clear, and indeed, it is. God tells Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. As we noted, because it's crazy what we're about to do. But notice what Joshua is supposed to be strong and courageous about. The first thing is that he says, be strong and courageous to do according to the law, everything. Do not turn to it from the right to the left. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it night and day so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And if you notice, the thing that requires strength and courage in this life that we live isn't the fighting, isn't the battles, isn't any of those things. It's simply doing as God says and is true to his word. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you love a brother, then you will know that you love a brother or a sister because you will die for the brother or your sister. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, by the way, if you look in the scripture, it's a backhanded slap, aka a few slap. He says, turn to him. Offer him the other. So you take the control out of his hand and into yours. These aren't euphemisms. Even in the book of Joshua, you'll see. He says things that are crazy. He says, march around the city 
It'll fall. Really? Yeah. He says, you know what? Now that you've crossed over the Jordan and that was crazy, how about you circumcise every single dude in the entire thing because no one is circumcised. Now, God? Yeah, now. Wait, wait, now? Wait, don't you know we just entered into foreign land and they're probably gonna come to kill us and you're gonna want to, wait, you're gonna, you want us to circumcise every single person so literally for a whole week, all the men are just decapitated because they can't, literally, like they're just done. They can't do anything. Yeah, so they do. Are we living according to God's word or just parts of it? The second thing that he says to be strong and courageous about says, do not be trembled. Do not tremble or be dismayed for Yahweh, your God is with us. He's saying you can be strong and courageous because God is with us. Family, our part in this call, our part in this life is to know that God is with us and he's promised us the land. He's promised us the rest. He's promised us life. He's promised us the victory. He's promised us joy, goodness, and all of it. And our part is to live according to his word and to know that he is with us, not just in part, but all of it. Not just the parts that we like, but all of it. Not just the parts that make sense to us, but all of it. And isn't this the conundrum of our life? God tells us very clearly how we ought to be. But the question is, do we do it? Do we live by the word or do we live by our ingrained ways or the ways of our world? Oftentimes I want to ask our parents that are over there, your lovely parents, and I say, do you lead your kids? Not saying they're bad, but do you lead your kids by the word? Do you lead them so that their one life goal is to be God's people and not a doctor or an engineer or successful? Do you lead them in such a way where their one thing that they know is that God loves them? Do we live by his commands or by our personalities, our histories, or our cultures? This is a serious one, this last question. Do we surrender and submit to our fears and our worries and our anxieties? Or do we submit and surrender to God who is with us? I know, it's beginning of 2020. It's Happy New Year's. I should come out with a lot more joy and a lot more like, woo. I know. Coming on strong, I know. But I think that's the call. And the whole story throughout Joshua tests this through and through. Will God do as, will Israel do as God commands, no matter how foolish or crazy or nonsensical it sounds? Because he promised them the land. He said, I will give it to you only if you do according to everything that I say. Because I will be with you and I will never fail you nor forsake you. We saw this through Advent, didn't we? The thing that we need is not that God would take away our storms, but that the God who is bigger and more uncontrollable and, and unpredictable than the storms would be with us in the boat. That we would then follow him and go wherever it is that he tells us to go. It's all throughout scripture. You can see it everywhere. This is the, um, oh, this is, oops, forgot. Boop. There we go. This is in Matthew. Everyone knows this passage in Matthew 28. But notice what it says. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. Why? Behold, for I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Church, is this where we're going to be? Pastors, Goose and I, 
We're looking at ourselves in the mirror. Is this who we're gonna be? You can ask that question to us. Are we gonna be a church that lives out God's word, all of it, because he's with us? Are we gonna be a church that will do so even if it sounds foolish? Even if it doesn't seem to make any sense. Maybe not to us, but it does to God. This past retreat, we took 185 people to the retreat. And I'm not boasting in the numbers. We took, well, I can't even divide numbers. We took 115 students, divided up somehow between junior high and senior high, I can't remember anymore. And then we took almost 60 college students. And let me be very, very frank with you. Most other churches, most other pastors, most other people would not take literally 40% of those people because they do not have a legitimate relationship with Christ. But we do, why? Because we believe it's important for them to know. And if we can do anything, including spending tons of our church money, tons of our offering, tons of your hard-earned money to give them an opportunity to worship Christ, then it's all worth it. Because why? God comes for the sick, not the righteous. Will we do what God calls us to do, even if it sounds stupid, even if it puts our lives in danger? And I hope and I pray that our answer would be yes. That we would pray, God, give me strength and courage to do everything according to your word because you are with us. It's not surprising that Jesus says the mark of the Christian, the mark of the disciple is someone who hears my word and then does them full stop. Indeed, love our enemies, yes. Indeed, die for our brothers because we love them, yes. Indeed, deny ourselves and pick up our cross to crucify ourselves to need it in order to follow Jesus. Yes. Indeed, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. This story is all about him. But I think the question we have to ask, why would we want it any other why we want to trust our lives and our story to anyone else other than the one who forgives, gives grace, and dies for the wretched, good-for-nothing, bag-stapping people like me and you. Why we want anyone else other than the one who dies for wretched sinners and then resurrects from the dead to author our stories and what remains of it. So I hope this year and onward, our call we will answer, and the answer will be yes, God. All of it, all your ways. Not some, but all. Not turning this way or that way, but all of it. That we would be a church that to the core lives out this calling. When I look at this group and I look at y'all, sometimes I pinch myself. Because this, I mean, legit, isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get a poofy-haired junior sitting in the front row so everyone can't see behind, you know, in front of him. Toby, just kidding. We just love Toby. You're not supposed to get an elder and then mostly Korean-speaking chipsanims in the back who care about us to stay and worship. You're not supposed to get, who's the youngest in here? 10, 9, 10, 11-year-olds. You're not supposed to have high school kids and college kids. You're not supposed to have all these people in the same room worshiping together and like it. 
We're not supposed to be a church that actually has people who maybe haven't been around, who maybe lives isn't really looking like the way they're supposed to be, feel like this is a place that they can call home. Why? Because we're receiving of places. Because we always say, this is not the gathering of holy people. No, no, no. This is a gathering of wretched, broken, just jacked up people in the presence of a holy God who therefore makes us holy. This is not supposed to happen. And I'm telling you, I think we're primed to actually become a Korean American church that actually loves one another, that actually will live out God's grace and his commands and his word to the T. Why? Because he's been faithful and he's been good and because he's with us. And so as we finish today and enter into a new year, here's my encouragement to you. Here's my challenge to you. Will you honestly look at your life? Look at what you do. Look at how you do them. And then compare that to the way that God asks you to live. And then even the littlest of ways will you commit to doing a little bit more Will you commit to dying to yourself so that others may live? Will you commit to saying no to your fears and no to your anxieties and saying yes to the strength and courage that God can give? Would you commit to not caring about what other people say and only caring about what God says? All the little ways, young and old. In this group, young people, will you commit to say, yeah, you know what? I might not understand everything Pastor P says. Actually, he talks really fast and he says maybe a lot of big words and actually he's really confusing and he's not that funny, right? It's just kind of boring most of the time. But will you, out of love for other people, say, I am willing, if I'm gonna be here, to pay attention. Older people in here, the ones who think that the younger people are annoying because they can't ever be quiet or they don't ever put their phones away, whatever. Would you say, I don't care. I'm gonna love them and pour on love on them because why they need to know Jesus because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Will we, we become a people that lives out God's word? And then today, after we finish and we walk over there, and if you're Korean American, maybe this will be exciting to you. If you're not, then maybe not. But we're about to eat tteokguk. It's, I had some this morning. It is delicious. But as you go, because we are Korean and we could love our parents, will you go over there, even in your broken Korean, because we want to love people, would you go over there and every adult you see, would you walk over there and would you bow, because that's what we do when we're Korean, go 90 degrees, because that's what we do when we're Korean, and then say, because that's what we do when we're Korean, and we do so because we love them. Because Christ wouldn't just bow and say, he would char, I think. He would die. So we're going to reflect and then Pastor Goose is going to lead us in a time of communion. The table is set to remember who Jesus is, to do exactly as he does, to give his body and his blood for the person who doesn't deserve it. And then we're going to ask you to take and then we're going to respond in song. And I pray that this new year will be all about the goodness and the glory that we would live according exactly to God's word. So we take some time to reflect and then we'll go into communion and then we'll finish.